you know, Paul has been addressing, he's is refreshing again, a, a year and a half he spent teaching the church at Corinth. And he's in Ephesus, he gets word of what's happening. He's addressed some theological struggles, some, some uh, positional issues, and now he's going right to the heart of the issue, which is a sin issue. And, and he, is, he is going to... He, you know folks that, that, that go along to get along, they just kind of avoid the tough topics just so they can meander their way through life and never want to really get... You know, you just don't want to confront anything. Anybody under, seen anyone like that? Maybe in families that you grew up in, they just don't want to deal with the tough issues. You just avoid them and just keep moving. But when you, when you have to confront something, you, you're confronting an issue in somebody's life, and it's going to be like this. And, it, and it's hard. And I, and I think one of the areas of ministry that people don't comprehend as far as the en- enormous amount of time is what, what sin does to a fellowship, um, that you have to confront that and you have to deal with it, especially if the sin is, and, and we're going to see in the passage where a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You guys know yeast? And you put a little yeast in the dough and it just like that, right? And really all it is is microorganisms, um, you know, letting off gas and, and making, making this lump into this gaseous mess. And, and a little bit makes it go a long way and makes this thing rise. And it's just filled with hot air and, and really no substance. Well, that's what happens. You allow a little of that to occur and it affects the entire fellowship, uh, a lie makes itself around the world before the truth ever wakes up kind of thing. And, and so an enormous amount of time is dealt in a church dealing with issues in the body that directly affect and if aren't addressed will create all kinds of havoc. And, um, and so Paul goes right for the issue. And we're, we're going to see in his second epistle when we get to 2 Corinthians that what he did here in 1 Corinthians 5 was very, listen, it was very effective. He confronted it. In his second epistle, he addresses the person that they confronted, and you see this person's been restored. And it's pretty remarkable, especially when you consider the sin that has been done by Paul's own admission and that of the Romans and the Greeks and all the pagans in this city. We've described it. You remember the city? Inundated with sexual sin, every vile type of sexual sin. How can you come up with something new that would astonish anyone in this city? You got that so far? You you good with it? I need you to pay attention. Okay. Then let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter (laughs) 5. This is fascinating to me. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, meaning the entire city is aware of what's going on in this church. The pagan community is shocked by what's going on in in your church. And such uh, such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. They don't even do what you're doing. You're gagging a maggot. That church has excelled. They've accomplished something that the world couldn't do. They've sickened the world. Pretty impressive. That a man has his father's wife. The word has means it's been going on a long time. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in body, but present in spirit 
have already judged. He's not, he's not, you know, spiritually, you know, transmitting himself there. He's just saying, I have the authority as an apostle to call you out on this. And he says, and I've already judged as though I were present. Him who has so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you were gathered together, along with my spirit, and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That sounds kind of tragic, but we'll cover that in a minute. And when you hear it, you'll be like, hey, that's kind of cool. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Now, we're not sure what epistle that is. We lost it. It was, this is 1 Corinthians. It might have been, this is maybe 1 Corinthians 1 or 1B, and that was 1A, but we don't have it. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Such a distinction. We'll cover that momentarily. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. We'll cover it all and it all makes sense. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we ask, God, that you would open our eyes to all the things that you have in relation to the church that you used your servant Paul to address, and, and, and wonderfully so, as we find in later writings of your living word, that it was reconciled, and this, this person came to repentance, and how the church was strengthened through discipline. And so, God, I pray tonight that we as a body of believers would grow and come to understand this and the significance of it. And we pray for the health of the fellowships around our community and through this state, nation, and world, that the body of Christ would be strong and not be a reproach to the pagan world, but would be a conviction to the pagan world. And so, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've got, um, basically what's going on here is secular discipleship. The, the world is discipling the church and the church is falling in line and being come, becoming very secular and very effective secularly. And then you find in the church Christian competitiveness where they, they can't compete in, in affecting the world, so they compete with each other. I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas. And, and the secular world is, is the teacher in this relationship and the church is the pupil and they're adhering to the teachings of the world, and they're succumbing to the the struggles of the world. Um, and and they and they find new teachers who tickle their ears, and and then claim that they follow them, and that there's a loyalty there. Um, but all of a sudden, there's a reverberation of the secular teaching that starts to come out, and it's awful. And it begins by saying, as the Apostle Paul writes to the church, he says, "It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality." Among you, I, I pulled it up here. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. They don't even do what you're doing. That a man has, which means continues to be with his father's wife, 
I mean, we're going to see other passages, but this is outlawed in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It's awful. And you are puffed up. They're, they're proud of it. We're tolerant. We're inclusive. Why, why can't we love one another? Who, who's to say that's wrong? Uh-oh, now we got some problems. Really, who's to say that's wrong? God does, but if, if the world is the standard and the culture is influencing the church, why wouldn't they be proud? Think how many churches in America that, that are proud of the fact that they're tolerant of sin. Can you think of any? And, and, and they're, they're, they're proud of that. They're puffed up by it. So what happens to a church like that over time? Every denomination, and, and one in particular that, that uh, fellowship I used to be a part of when I was in, in Fresno, was the United Church of Christ, and they, they, they embraced that. And the, and the, the denomination imploded. They've, they've joined other denominations as they're managing the decline of it, and nobody goes anymore. And they've got property, but no people. And it's like Europe. You go in, and the, the, the churches are beautiful and, and empty. And it, it's all a result of embracing and being proud of the fact that you are doing the world better than the world is doing the world. And, and this, this is, and, and really, if we remove God from the equation, why would this be wrong? Now, in the same regard, if the church is just trying to adapt to the culture and, 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 and be a subculture within the culture instead of a counterculture... Over time, wouldn't that church acclimate to be just like the rest of the culture? So where is the church's cultural transformation, reformation? Where is it? Why does the, the world affect the church and the church doesn't affect the world? And, and Paul will go through this. He's, he's frustrated by the church, that, the, that, that the, church, the, the world is discipling the church and the church is not discipling the world. And, and it says, it's, it's not even named among the Gentiles, and you're proud of that. You should be mourning, but you're not. You're proud of it. And, you, it, and the person who's done this deed has to be taken away from among you. Now, name a church where somebody has been removed from the fellowship that you've been a part of over some sort of sin, and, and I can guarantee you it's probably less than 5% that's ever witnessed it. It just, it doesn't happen a lot. We don't do church discipline. And, and so, because if you do church discipline, you have to face what the world says about the church's discipline. And, and the world's going to let you know that that is judgmental and it's intolerant and it's, and it's, and it's, and you're going to have to stand to your beliefs and defend them. So it means you really have to understand what you're doing. Actually reported means commonly reported or it is everywhere noised abroad. I mean, they, every, everybody's talking about this. They can't even believe the church is doing this. Not the gossip of a few people, but the talk of the town. The ancient Roman writer and statesman Cicero, I found this, said this type of incest was an incredible crime and practically unheard of. Truly, it was not even named among the Gentiles. Cicero, a Roman leader, wrote of this, and he just said, it, we don't do this. It's incest. It's, it's vile. The man is sleeping with his father's wife. This is Corinth. It's just a, a massive orgy. 
I won't zoom in because I don't want to stumble anybody. Greek culture could matter-of-factly say, mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of the body, but wives to bear us legitimate children. They, the city of Corinth had, had sexual immorality down. They, they even worked it into the cultural references that mistresses were for this, concubines were for this, and wives were for this. It, I mean, one was for pleasure, the other was to take care of the house, and the other was to bear legitimate children because they were women of, of stature from noble families. And everybody had a role to play. And, and this is how they did it. And, and if you were the head of the house, any one of those was for your taking. And then you add to that all of the, the worship of, of Aphrodite, Diana, and, and going into the city and prostituting yourself. It turned the city into where you get the words, the word sexual immorality in the passage is pornea, uh, where you get pornography. But it doesn't just relate to pornography. And if you, you see Greek or Roman uh, uh, sexual art, it is as graphic as anything you'd see on the internet or anything you'd see in an R. I mean, it's, it's vile. And, and you, you know, you see the ruins of Pompeii. They just found the one guy uh, in Pompeii with the stone on his head. Have you seen that? And the rest of it, that, that massive headache for that guy. But the idea is in Pompeii, it is just a city that's inundated with vile, vile pictures. And that's, that's Corinth. And, um, and so Paul is saying, look, this is so bad. Why is the guy even still among you? And I wanted to address that. But I like what um, Alan Redpath says. He says, the message of the cross with its implications in Christian behavior was being ignored. It was being ignored. You're, this, you're, this is either your ideology because you, you, you put Christ in your life and you die to yourself and you're alive to Christ, or you abandon it. And it's all about you and all about what you want. And the church is a place where, and, it, and it's so f- f- uh, f- uh, flagrant in the culture that it, it, it un- unconverted people in Corinth were disgusted by it. Can we think of anything in the church that really turns off the unconverted world? How about all the pedophilia in the, in, in the Catholic church? I, I can even name it in the Protestant church. How about, how about the, the abuse of wealth and the fleecing of poor people? Did you see the one guy who said God told him that the congregation needs to get him a $51 million jet, the Falcon 9? I mean, the, the world looks at that and says, really? You guys are buying that? That is insane. You're all idiots. And they're like, here's my money. And if, I, and if you give me one of the cloths that was touched on your head with your sweat, I'm going to prosper and get money back. I, I, I'll tell you what. Let's just do this. I have a box of Cheerios, and they're actually donut seeds. And if you put them in the dirt, they'll, they'll give you donut plants. I promise. Maybe not. Um, they were tolerant of the fact that they... They, they considered everyone to be loving, but their testimony was being ruined. Where do you think the one area, the one area that a Christian would stand out if they applied the truths of the Lord, what one area would they have a significant difference with the pagan world of Corinth if they really stuck to God's word? Huh? Marriage. Marriage. Fidelity. 
purity, chastity. Unheard of. You're what? Yeah. Just, just one mate for your whole life? Yeah. How do you do that? Not easy. Not easy. Why? Because God designed it that way. It comes out of Ephesians 5 and 6. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. Live long on the earth. It's the fabric and the structure of all society. And, and when the family is secure and, and when a woman is assured of, of her husband's love, she'll, she'll honor the man. And, and it's just amazing and the security and the bond that's established. And, and then it's a microcosmic picture of Christ's love for the church that the wife is, is, is the bride and Christ is the groom and, and uh, washed in the water or washed in the blood of the Lord, white as snow. And, the wedding day we celebrate it and the the groom is dead to himself this idea that he and he comes out in this tuxedo and the two become one and and they're a new creature in christ and the old is past and new has come and they forget what is behind they strive for what is ahead the man leaves his mother and father be cleaved and become it's an amazing picture of god's restoration of mankind then the children are raised in the love and the admonition of the lord and they have a father in the home they have a mother in the home and it's just a really wonderful picture you guys should try it You should, you should try it. This would set them apart. But such is not the case. They celebrate this idea. You know, and, and that's the other one too. What's the thing that sells the most in America if you want to sell a product? Sex. And, and what is involved in almost every form of entertainment in America? Even in football. Sex. It's just, it's, and, and why? Because as we get to this idea of a doing virtue and a thinking virtue, we're just drawn with the stuff that is the least common denominator that we're drawn to. And, just, and, and, and this, is, this is what we celebrate. It's this idea of selfish indulgence, all visual, and, and, and nowhere does that celebrate anything. And I'm not going to take time tonight to go through all the different types of love. I've covered that, and I, I don't want to bore you to death. But this culture really needed a restructuring of their concept of love. And they, they, they could have looked to the church, but the church had taken every aspect, and they had, they had thrown it out in this idea of tolerance, and, and they had no testimony. They were tolerant, but they had no testimony. And, and, there was, there was, and the one thing, who's grieved of all of them? Now, Paul's writing. He's grieved. Who else is grieved? The pagan world is grieved. But the Holy Spirit's grieved. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's the idea that, that you, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had departed. They had these gifts, and all of a sudden now they have this immorality, and, and they think that they're accomplishing all these things, but the Holy Spirit was grieved, quenched, and now he was withdrawn. They didn't weep over it. They didn't feel shame about it or any agony towards it. And Paul is just frustrated. Uh, Redpath writes, there are people who have decided for Christ and claim to be converted. They've come to him to seek forgiveness and cleansing from this very thing. And, and, and there are people that want to walk in freedom. But what happens is, when you don't celebrate deliverance, but you embrace tolerance, celebrating... Uh, Embracing tolerance is so easy. Did you hear me? It doesn't require any effort. 
Oh, I'm, if it's good for you, I'm just so happy for you. Love is love. I'm sorry, what does that mean? It, just love is love. What is love? It, it's love. I, I heard you, you, re, you keep repeating it, but what, what does it mean? What does it mean? I mean, Scripture says, greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for a friend. Uh, having the same love, being of like mind, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. I, I understand crypt, Christian principles of love, but what are you referring to? Oh, there, it, it's, love is everywhere. You just need to get into its consciousness. Is, is, is it monogamous? Oh, no, no. Well, then why does everyone want to get married? Oh, we don't anymore. We're, we're an anti-marriage kind of thing. What is sex? Well, it's whatever you want it to be. Well, God intended as an expression of intimacy that you're so connected with another human being that you have this physical ability to express both what's taking place emotionally and spiritually through a physical act. What is it for you? Well, it's just kind of, you know, I don't even need another person. And most, most of the young kids nowadays have seen so much pornography. It's like sex, whatever. Why are you so into it? I mean, I, they've seen so many images now. They're just done with it. Procreation. I just, what? And this is, this is where the church needs to make a, a statement. And yet this is the last place we want to make a statement. I, I don't do that. That's just, you know, I want to be, I, I want people to be able to come and, and have access to grace. Grace is wonderful. So is mercy. I, I'm in full agreement with you. But, but how is your fellowship any different than the world? Why, why do I need to come and, and, and listen to a lengthy study on a Wednesday night if somebody just doesn't shut up when I can just go watch television or get a, a Netflix, net, Netflix bomb? I'll move on. Paul just is frustrated. And, and in... And in um, Verses uh, uh, 3 through 5, let me read that to you. He says, For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you were gathered together along with my spirit, in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You read that and you think, Oh my goodness, Paul, you are out of control. Anyone ever read Matthew 18, 15 through 17? If your brother sins against you, you approach him, try to win your brother. And if he doesn't, you come with two or three witnesses. And if he still doesn't hear, adhere to that, you, you, you remember that? Yeah. And, and, and you treat him as a tax collector? What does that mean? Anyone like tax collectors if you owe a tax? Back then, they didn't like tax collectors. The idea is, hey, you're just, it, it, we have a worldly relationship. I, I'll deal with you as a business dealing, but you want to have the protection and the covering of the church and to claim the name of Christ and to have this koinonia where our hearts are knitted, you're not part of that. You're just a tax collector. I'll give you the tax, we'll do business, but we're not going to be close. You see how that works? You want to win a brother. You don't want to go around and be a heresy hunter. You don't want to go around and calling out everyone else's sin so it makes you feel better. But the idea, if the sin is present, you got to call them on it. And especially if the sin is leavening the whole lump. One person can do a, a remarkably wonderful job at destroying a fellowship. One person. A little whisper here, a little slander there, a little gossip here. Um, you know. And then all of a sudden, the cancer spreads. It's kind of like saying, 
you know, my body, I just, am, it's, it's tolerant. And I really, I'm so excited that it's tolerant of cancer. Anybody happy with that? Now, I want that cancer out, removed, and gone, right? Well, this is what Paul says. You go, well, why would you call someone who is hurting and has obviously, why would you call them a cancer? They're a cancer because they know what to do and they don't do it. And they're using the fellowship as a covering. Paul didn't say the destruction of the body, did he? He said the destruction of the flesh. And these are two different things. The flesh had mastered this man. And he, he was content to operate in that context as opposed to, to um, submitting himself to the cross of Christ and dying to himself. He had submitted to the flesh. This statement, this man in the Corinthian church is to be given over to Satan until that principle of yieldedness to the flesh is ended, until this principle of this self-life is finished. Hand him over to Satan, Paul says, before whose authority he has been surrendering. Cut him off from the Christian fellowship. Remove him from any false feeling of security within the Christian church. Expose him to the dreadfulness and the loneliness and awfulness of the sin in which he is guilty. Let the world see that sin cannot be tolerated within the holy fellowship of God. Put him out for the destruction of carnality until he loathes the very thought of the thing which he is practicing. My wife and I, when we raise our kids, um, the thing that we would do is when they would be completely rebellious and unrepentant and they were defiant. Yes, every one of them at one point had that ability, as do all of you. And when they would get to that place and we'd have them go sit in the timeout chair, they'd sit down frustrated. And you know why we make them sit in the timeout chair? We separated them from the family. We went in, we had dinner. You just sit and own it. Have a great time. And that, I'll tell you what, it was, my father made it, and it was made out of wood, and it would really hurt your butt after a while. And just you just sit there, and we're going to be in there having a great time. And after a while, your pride kind of just, you really thought about it. You thought, this is kind of stupid. I miss my family. Is this really worth holding on to? Now, here's the problem. You don't discipline the child. Don't show them consequences for actions. Just say they're discovering themselves. They're just, they're just, they're just experimenting in life. You know, open up avenues for them. Don't put any restraints. Well, you give to a child if it cries, and a pig when it oinks, you'll end up with a fine pig and a rotten child, right? And you wonder, just give them participation ribbons. Don't discipline them when they do anything wrong. Don't tell them, don't introduce them to the Lord. The fear of the Lord is beginning with them. No, 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 no. They'll just let them find God on their own. The whole world is designed to keep them away from God. Why? The Bible says all creation speaks of the glory of the Lord. But the world is vying to shut that down. They don't want us to look at the heavens. They want us to look down. Instead of look up for our guidance, we look down at Google Maps and everything else. They tell us what to think, where to go, and this is the whole idea is, you know what's special about a church? What's really special about a church is the simple fact that each and every one of us, and I'm looking around the room, I'd say majority, if I saw you outside the fellowship, 
there's a connection. We're family. Now, we're probably distant. We haven't spent a lot of time together, like, you know, third or fourth cousins, but we're family. And every Sunday we have a reunion. And, and quite honestly, I would rather spend Thanksgiving with many in the church than with my own biological family, not meaning Michelle. I'm talking about <laughs> siblings, right? And, and, and there's just, I love Sundays. I love coming together and seeing everybody. And I know, I know more about the struggles in most of your lives than I do probably about my own, again, biological family. I've, I've labored in prayer and I've, I've, I've seen miracles in your lives. I've seen changes in the years that I've been here. And there's a joy about that and the things that we get to experience together. This is family. This is family. And, and there are times, and there's been in our family, where one child disrupts everything. And maybe that was you and your family. But that one child disrupts everything, turns mom against dad, turns the kids against each other, works it and destroys it, and, and, and that is this idea of leaven. And what Paul says is, remove them. And here's the idea of removal. And I said this, and, and Natasha would give me permission to share, but I said this to her. She came home one night, and we had endeavored with her, and she was going out every night, maybe to borderline, I don't know where, I, I lost track of it. And she'd come home, she'd been drinking, she'd come in late, she'd kind of come and go as she pleased, she wasn't working. And I finally just said, Natasha, I, I'm not... I'm not being used to the Lord to provide a roof over your head and a bed for you to sleep in and food for you to eat so that I can enable you to do things contrary to what he desires. This is not what the house is for. You've got to decide what you want to do. You're a big girl now. She was over 18. You've got to decide. Because obviously you want nothing to do with the Lord. I'm leaving. I said, well, okay. Because if you didn't change, I'd have to ask you to leave. And, and the idea is, you go ahead, you go ahead and try life outside the house. And you go figure it out. My son uh, had complained, not prolifically, just periodically, I mean, 16 years old, that Michelle was late picking him up at school. He goes to a private Christian school. Oaks. It's like, I would have liked to have gone to Oaks. Right. And he's upset. So I picked him up that day and I took a, a video that I got off of YouTube about a third grade boy in China that walks four miles in sub-freezing temperatures to get to school every day and he's got, he's got icicles on his eyelashes, just, and he's, his cheeks are chapped, and, this, and he's the most positive kid, and the teacher adores him, and his parents don't even live in his hometown because they've had to go to the big city to send money back, and the boy wants to better his life, so he walks that great distance to go to school. And I said, son, mom not picking you up on time is a first world problem, and you need to get over yourself. Watch this. His response was, Dad, I'm sorry. The idea is, 
this is a little too comfortable for you and you're taking advantage of it and you're complaining about things you really need not complain about and you're creating problems you really need not be creating problems over, why don't you spend some time outside the house, outside the fellowship, and then just kind of see what the world is like because we know who runs all that. And you know what? Natasha tried to find the good outside, even in Oxnard. And she would befriend people she'd meet on Craigslist and this, and she'd move in with a lady to try to help her because she had diabetes and it was a dumpy old house and she had to live in a, and there was another roommate that never did the laundry. And, and after a while, I, I just got shocked by the stories. And, and I, I never really saw where she lived. I quite honestly didn't want to know. And it was Micah who went to go help her move when she had finally come to the end of herself and wanted to come home because she would realized how miserable it is. And Satan had got hold of her and she realized, you know, I want to, it's like the prodigal son. I don't care if I have to be a, a servant in my father's house. It is far better than anything I've experienced out here. I want to come home. And, and I, I couldn't wait for her to get back, but Micah said the place where she was living, I don't even know why we brought anything back. We should have just burned it. And she's now here, she sees this idea. What was, gosh, now I get it. And you really don't appreciate something until you lose it. Well, that's what Paul's saying. Let Satan have him for a while. Not the destruction of the body, just the destruction of the flesh. What's the flesh? Selfishness. Selfleshness. It's, it's all about me. And, and if you want to see what transpired after they kicked him out of the church, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Later, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Later. Look at it later. And, um, and then when he's, he's had his fill of sin, he's going to realize how nauseating it is. Have you ever, have you ever, oh, I'll, I'll leave you with this and we'll move on because we're, we're not running out of time. But my, my wife, uh, they, they, when she was a child, there was a big, big box of chocolate-covered cherries. And she broke into the present before Christmas. And she ate them all. And it was all over her face and it was just awful. Right? And... <laughs> She got in trouble, and she was sick, and she didn't want to see another one as long as she lived. Every Christmas, they'd give her a box of chocolate-covered cherries. To this day, she still gets a box of chocolate-covered cherries. I think it's a little cruel, but they keep, you know, it's, I think it's Catholic. I don't know. It's, it's, but you find in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he was restored and returned to the church, and, the, and he repented with godly sorrow. He was broken. He wanted to come back. Now, he was chastised, but, uh, and, he, and he drank the fruit of his sin, but, but he finally got over it. Um, so this is the sin. Uh, it, it says in Leviticus, expressly forbids a man to have sex with his stepmother. The nakedness of your father's wife shall not uncover. Corinthians Christians probably allowed this in the name of tolerance. They probably said to themselves, look how loving we are. We've covered that. And, and this is the idea of turning them over to Satan. The world is really good at this. I mean... Young, vibrant, and Skeletor. But this is this is one this was one of my favorite actors, one of my favorite movies of all time. It was a cult classic. It was Big Wednesday, Jan Michael Vincent, huge star, amazing guy. You guys remember Big Wednesday? Yeah. I mean this guy was the Brad Pitt of his day. Here he is today. He's, he's a raging alcoholic. He's lost his leg through diabetes. His organs are shutting down. He, he is, the, the world does a number on you. And, and, 
And, and Paul lays this out and he wants the church to see it. And he said, look, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I, I, I pray that, that Jan Michael Vincent, if not now, soon will come to the Lord. And I've heard interviews with him where he is just angry at God and cusses at God and just says F Christians and on and on and on. And there's, I, I look at that and I go, what are you holding on to? Because the wheels are falling off that rig. You know, the Lord gave him a talent and, and he buried it, basically. I mean, that's what you look like if you've been buried. And he said, well, I knew you were trying, man, and I, I didn't want to upset you, so I buried my talent. God said, no, you're supposed to multiply it, reach people's lives. You know what the amazing thing about sin is? It's so selfish that the world even gets sick of you. You end up all alone. You, you, you're, you're so about you that the only time that you find fellowship is to reach into others. And then all of a sudden, there's just something about it. If a man wants friends, he must himself first be friendly. And you build this, this picture, and all of a sudden, your life, you've just got some fullness. But if it's all about you, and you go out, even the world kind of tires and, and, and you'll get some traction when you complain about the church and what the church did to me and they kicked me out and they don't understand me and they're intolerant and, I, and they'll come and come along after a while and then you, you, you'll just get tired of them they'll get tired of you. And, and Paul says, your glorying is not good, verse six. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are in leaven. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. The Passover is this idea that Jesus, uh, the, the Israelites, um, the angel of death passed over them because they had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And the Lord said, don't put any leaven. You don't have time for it to rise. Just get out. It's a whole new work and you're, you're traveling with what you have. And so that was this idea of Passover. And at Passover, you don't have any leaven. You got to sweep the house out of leaven. You don't want any of those microorganisms. You want just the pure aspect of everything. And they reflect that to Christ being this unleavened bread. And when Christ is the center of everything that we do, we're dead to ourselves and alive to Christ. But if we fall on this side of the ideology and we abandon the teachings of Christ for the sake of being discipled by the world, and thinking that tolerance for the sake of, of getting, you go along to get along. If you go along to get along, after a while, you're just gone. And, and there's nothing left of you. But over here, this, this is the transformative picture that that cross of Christ, we're dead to ourselves and alive to Christ. It changes cultures and changes everything. As I said earlier, and we've gone through the study. What does the cross of Christ look like in your life? What does the cross of Christ look like in your family? What does the cross of Christ look like in your church? What does it look like in your community? What does it look like in your school, in your places of business, in your political structures? What does the cross of Christ look like? It should be transformative, not adaptive. It should be countercultural, not subcultural. You don't adapt. You set the tone. You change it. You're not, you're, you're not a thermometer. You're a thermostat meaning the church. And this idea that once sin comes in and you, you, let, it, you let it sit sit there, the church just becomes fluffy and full of air and no substance. It's just a room full of hot air and no lives are changed. There's no substance in the words. Oh, they, they ring of something Christian, but there's nothing there to change anything. 
After a while, I don't know if you've ever sat through one of these Unitarian or these where they just incorporate everything. It's like an alphabet soup of spiritual discussion. And, and it sounds really neat, and I can almost preach a sermon with that, where you say so much without saying anything at all. You ever been to one of those? It's just a bunch of gas. And that's the lump of leaven. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincere. You know what sincere means in Greek? It means without wax. It's really a cool word. You'd walk down the cardio, the marketplace, that's where they get the word cardio. It's it's the main artery of the city. And you're walking down the cardio, the main artery of the city, and all the shops are there. And you see these beautiful alabaster, you know, flasks of oil of spikenard, and you know, like the woman poured over Jesus's head. And they've been fashioned. And these are just, and and you, you see these statues, some of these amazing Roman statues that are carved out of alabaster, and hours and hours, polishing. It almost looks as though you see David and has come up, come to life as Michelangelo followed the Roman skills of how to do these alabaster statues and these white marble statues. And you're looking at them. And one man who's been spending countless hours comes to the delicate area and, and, and right as he's just finishing the last touch, and, and, and the nose falls off. It's a clean break, but what do we do? They didn't have glue back then. So they took a little wax and they put it on there because you could press it real tight and, and then if it wasn't too dramatic of a crack, you could put it in and they would come and they examine it and say, this is lovely. And, 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 it's, and, they, and, and sincera, sincera means without wax. And, and they would buy it. They'd take it home and they'd put it in the thing right there by the window sun would come in and the wax would heat and the nose would go and they go oh if they had the word sincera and it had wax they would go to jail and this is where this idea of what what paul is saying that we are to be sincere tell the truth it it it, it's solid there's no wax in this you you can count on it you can, you can take it home and put it in your mantle and it will adorn your home and, and be a beautiful piece in your home. Everything we're saying will really transform your family. It's something that you can count on. We've lived it, you can see it, and you can take it home and, uh, and apply it to your family and it won't melt when the sun comes out or trial hits. Your family will hold strong in the storms and, and it'll be good. In the heat of trial, everything will stay together. That's this idea of this unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then Paul says in in verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world. Let me explain this. God wants you to connect with everybody out there. Oh, I I don't go there. I don't talk to those people. You're told to. Mm. Do you know what they do? Yes. Yes, we do know what they do. Yeah, but I, I don't associate her. They're supposed to be reached. But do you know what they do? Of course we do. They do the things you used to do. Now go reach them. 
because they're just as trapped as you've been. And you wouldn't be here had someone not come to tell you. Now go. But it's awful and what they do. Yeah. Now go. Right? And we like to, we like to define ourselves because we, we, uh, we school our children with the same children. And we live in the community with the same people. We go to church with the same people. And we stay here. And I don't want my children to be in that Cub Scout troop. If the Cub Scout troop, figure out a way to get out there. I'm not saying sacrifice your children at the altar of paganism so that you can reach the schools. If your child's not, my, Daniel can handle public schools. He was a great testimony and a witness to that school. Michael's doing a great job at Oaks Christian. Uh, you know, we, we, each child has a different bend and what they, so that's between you and the Lord. I'm not, I'm, we've, we've done homeschool. We've done private school. We've done public school. We've done it all. You, you, you rise and fall before one master. That's the Lord. But the point is, get out there and do something. Participate in the PTA. Participate in the, in the sports. Participate. Go do this stuff because they need to be reached and this has to be affected. And Paul is saying, I, I want you to go keep company with these people. I want you to go keep company with them. But I tell you who I don't want you to keep company with. Sexually immoral people who are in the church. In the world, go for it. Get to know them. Talk to them. I want you to get to know the covetous and the extortioners and the idolaters. You got to get out there and meet them. It's a meet and greet. But I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunker or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. If you know this person to be in the church and this is their life and they're claiming themselves to be a Christian, you got to get going. Now, I have no problem with somebody in the church who doesn't claim the name of Christ and they're here and they're struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled by that. But you give your heart to the Lord and you want us to be tolerant of you not honoring the name of the Lord by claiming the name of the Lord. You're, you're not sincere. You got a lot of wax. And that is not a testimony that anyone can take home. The world's looking for the real deal. My dad, and I told you the story, my dad would, when I told him, when he made me go to uh, San Diego City College, or yeah, San Diego City College, I told him I'm gonna have to walk by all the prostitutes and the drug addicts. And he said, you're going to have to take the bus. And I said, I'll, I'll die. And, and I did, and I took the bus, and I learned my lesson. I was a Christian. I was reading the scriptures on the bus, and I was witnessing to people as I'd walk down, and I, 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 they're drug addicts, prostitutes. I'm going to school, total cross-cultural immersion. I mean, I was a white boy raising a community 98% white, and, and here I am, just inner city, San Diego. And you know what? Yeah, there's frightening days, but I was right in the middle of it. My faith got strong and a chance to contend and talk and meet people and be stretched and challenged. And later, my mom would say to me when she was dying, you know, your dad used to follow the bus because he was afraid you're... And, and, he, 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 and, and the times, even when I would make a profession of faith and I would stand in opposition to my dad saying that, you know, my girlfriend had to get an abortion. I said, no. And he said, if, if she doesn't, you can't live here. And I walked out. And my, my mom said, 
you know, the reason why dad was so hard on you and so difficult on you is because he wanted to know the Lord. He wanted to make sure that what you were professing was legitimate. Does it hold up in heat? Is it sincere? And, and, and if you're sitting here and you're claiming the name of Christ and there is no transformation, and if you're being put on trial for being a Christian, there's no evidence to convict you of such, but there is evidence to convict you of the world. You're just as angry, you're just as cantankerous, you're just as vile as you've always been, and you claim the name of Christ, and you want everyone to adjust to you. It's, 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 time, it's time to move out. Find a place of where this, it's not, it's not working, like with Natasha. And, and that's where he says, don't even eat with such a person. And then Paul concludes, and I will too, for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. The Bible says that we can judge one another according to our fruit. You tell me that you are an apple tree. I want to see some apples. Same thing if you say you're an orange tree. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Self-control, gentleness. We can, these are fruits. And we can judge according to fruits. We're fruit inspectors. We can't judge under condemnation. I can't look at anyone in the world and say, you're going to hell. I, I, I can, even when I do a funeral and there has been no evidence of this person ever having walked with the Lord, I will never, ever, ever state that. I will talk past the body as if Lazarus could come back and tell everybody. I, I'll, I, I would do that. I'll just, I'll just speak in that respect. If they could come back, I'll tell you what they want you to know. You can speak of the rich man who said, go and tell my brothers not to come here. I mean, there's a, a myriad of ways, but I have no idea because God is in the business. He is patient and long-suffering, wanting that none would perish, but that all would be saved. And, and he works to the very last minute. And I don't, I don't know if in that quiet moment or right before, I have no idea. I don't know. That's why I think people in comas, it's a holy moment. The last thing to go in the human body is hearing. And what does the world want to do? Let's kill him quickly. And I, you, you, you judge the world without judging yourself. And really what God wants us to do as a body of Christ is if we make a stand on sexual purity and chastity and, and define it, we're going to have to declare it and be able to defend it. And people are going to want to take it home and put it on their mantle because they can't argue with the product. <laughs> 